Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. April 25th, 2021, and that means there's eight months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we've got author, film critic, and podcaster extraordinaire Alonzo Duralde on the show. And in honor of this Christmas movie expert joining us today, this show is going to be all about Christmas movies. We're going to talk Christmas movie snacks, Christmas movie tropes, and a discussion of Christmas movies at the Academy Awards. It's Hollywood's Merriest Night, so let's start the show! Greetings, Yule Believers! Welcome to a very special edition of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. Why is it special? Well, this episode is being released the same day as the 93rd Academy Awards, so I thought it'd be a good time to have an episode about Christmas at the movies! Hooray for holidays! Those merry movies about the holidays! Where any character from Susan Walker to Ralphie Parker can watch the sky for a sleigh. Go out and try your luck, you might see Scrooge McDuck. Hooray for holidays! Yes, all of the segments for today's show are going to relate to Christmas movies, culminating with an interview with author, film critic, and Christmas movie expert Alonzo Duralde. So let's get right to it with our first segment, We Need a Little Christmas, now. We need a... As you may know, I've dedicated 2021 to be 2020 yum. So every Need a Little Christmas Now segment this year will be a recipe you can make anytime to get a literal taste of Christmas. And today is no exception. Wait a minute. What's the matter, imaginary listener that kind of sounds like Kermit the Frog? You said all the segments today would be about Christmas movies. And now you're saying this is going to be a recipe? Make up your mind. Don't embarrass yourself. Alonzo Duralde's on the show. Calm down, my frog voice friend. Both things are true. How? What is the most popular movie snack? Uh, steamed clams? What? No! Popcorn! Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I've got a recipe for Christmas-fied popcorn. That's a thing? According to Town & Country Living it is, they've got a recipe for it, and it's super simple. You pop some plain popcorn, get some white chocolate melting wafers, melt them, and drizzle them over the popcorn. Then you add some red and green M&Ms. Now, if you're not like me, and you didn't buy a bunch of bags of just red and green M&Ms when they went on sale on December 26th, don't worry. You can buy a bag of regular M&Ms and just pick out the red and green ones. That sounds tedious and time-consuming. Hey, no pain, no Christmas. Uh, that's not the saying. Anyway, once you've tossed the popcorn, white chocolate, and M&M's, spread it out in a cookie sheet that's lined with parchment paper, let it cool for a half hour, and then bingo, bango, jingle, jangle, you've got yourself some Christmas popcorn to eat while you watch your Christmas movie. And if you don't think you can remember all that, don't sweat it. I put a link to the Town & Country Living recipe in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now it's time for our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. Five. 
They're the things you see again and again. According to TVTropes.org, a trope is a storytelling device or convention, a shortcut for describing situations the storyteller can reasonably assume the audience will recognize. They are everywhere in every form of storytelling, from TV to plays, novels to comic books, and yes, even Christmas movies. So today, I thought we could list five of the more popular Christmas movie tropes, starting with... Number five! Over-the-top Christmas decorations. Sure, we all enjoy decorating for the holidays, but in many a Christmas movie, at least one character takes it to the extreme. Whether it's a decoration competition or someone is just overflowing with Christmas spirit, they take their decorating game up to 11. Some examples of this are seen in Elf, the 2000 How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Christmas with the Cranks, and of course, perhaps the most famously, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Number four. How does Santa deliver all those presents? Hollywood screenwriters really can't seem to get their head around how Santa can deliver presents to all the children in the world in one night. So if they make a movie about Santa, they have to come up with some magical or faux scientific reason that he can do it. You can catch this trope in Santa Claus the Movie, The Santa Claus, Miracle on 34th Remake, Ernest Saves Christmas, and Arthur Christmas. Number three, Dark Christmas. This trope is a reaction to all the happy, sweet, holly jolly Christmas movies we see every year. Some of us can take that earnest Christmas joy and enjoy it, but others have to rebel against it and turn the holiday into something dark, scary, and or violent. Examples of this trope are movies like Krampus, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and dare I suggest, Die Hard. Number two. The True Meaning of Christmas. Some might argue it's not a Christmas movie unless someone learns the true meaning of Christmas by the end. Whether they were just a stick in the mud who didn't like Christmas at all, or someone focused too much on getting the perfect present, by the time the credits roll, these folks will learn what Christmas is really all about. And there's tons of examples for this one. Jingle All the Way, The Grinch, The Nightmare Before Christmas, A Christmas Story, Noel, Home Alone, and about a billion adaptations of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Honorable Mentions! Got a couple of honorable mentions. The first is Chaos of the Bells. Whenever there's an action scene in a Christmas movie, you can pretty much count on them using Carol of the Bells as the music to make things sound more dramatic and Christmassy at the same time. The other honorable mention is The Adorable Kid. Look, we adults like Christmas, but kids love it the most, so you gotta stick a cute kid in your movie to tell the adults the rules of Christmas. If you're the Santa Claus 3 and your original cute kid has aged out into a less cute teenager, you just stick a random new cute kid in there. Gotta meet that cute kid quota. But now, the number one Christmas movie trope is... Number one! Saving Christmas! Christmas has been Christmasing for centuries. You can count on it every December 25th. But somehow in the movies, Christmas is constantly about to be ruined. It's up to a ragtag band of unlikely heroes to save Christmas. Either someone is actively trying to ruin Christmas, or Santa's gone, or whatever happened, someone has to step in and save the day. Examples from this one include The Christmas Chronicles, Ernest Saves Christmas, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Santa Claus, The Santa Claus 2, The Santa Claus 3. They really need to work on keeping Christmas safe in those movies. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, Elf, and of course the made-for-podcast Christmas movie A Bomb for Christmas. Cheap plug alert. So those are some of my favorite Christmas movie tropes. I kept it strictly to movies for this list since this is our special Oscar night show, but maybe I'll do another one for Christmas TV specials because those have a lot of tropes all their own. In the meantime, let me know if I've left out any of your favorite Christmas movie tropes. I'll take my answers in emails, comments on the website, Facebook comments or messages, and of course, good old-fashioned tweets. And now a word from one of the other podcasts on the Christmas Podcast Network. We're the elves from Tis the Podcast. I'm Anthony. 
I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. And Tis the Podcast is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Join us each week as we rank, review, and discuss all your favorite Christmas movies and television shows. Sometimes we agree, sometimes it's a verbal brawl, but each and every week is guaranteed to be fun. Come join us. Welcome back. It's now time we head over to the red carpet because the stars are starting to arrive to talk Christmas at the Oscars. Wait, look. Oh, my goodness. It's a film critic for The Wrap, host of the Linoleum Knife podcast, the Breakfast All Day podcast, the Film and a Movie podcast, and the untitled Ify Drea and Alonzo project, and the author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, Alonzo Duralde, everybody. Tim, so good to see you. You're, you're too kind. What's funny is that uh, the only time I've ever been anywhere near red carpet, I'm on the side of the rope with the uh, the flashbulbs and the people yelling dumb questions. And it's no fun. <laughs> well, the, the first dumb question I have, especially for a podcast, is what are you, who are you wearing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm wearing a t-shirt that I got for free somewhere. <laughs> Uh, promoting a website that I don't even know what it does, um, and the same pair of jeans I've been wearing for the last fourteen months. <laughs> I am also wearing a T-shirt I got for free. It's a it was a Christmas present, and it's mm. a it's a Christmas tree made out of Star Wars silhouettes. Oh, there you go. I almost wore something thematic, but then I was like, eh, audio podcast. Yeah, it's an audio podcast. I mean, I I'm just I'm always wearing stuff like this, so that's. <laughs> It would it was. be disappointing if you weren't, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been looking to have, for an excuse to have you on the show uh, for a while. I mean, oh, I was thanks. very happy that you came on. Well, that you did the the uh, top five horror Christmas movies right. for us a couple, uh, I don't know, a little over a year ago. Uh, but I was like, I wanted to actually have you on as a guest guest because I wanted to talk to you. And when I knew this episode was falling the same day as the Oscars, I was like, that counts as a good reason. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> because you, I mean, I, I uh, when you were on the flop house, Elliot said this, but you literally wrote the book on Christmas movies. Yeah. Well, Have yourself I, you know, a movie little Christmas. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I discovered that it's very easy to become an expert in something that no one else wants to be the expert in. So <laughs> luckily, it was, Christmas movies were just sitting right there. <laughs> you plucked them from the Christmas tree, as it were. There you go. <laughs> uh, how did how, So how did you set out to buy to write? have yourself like did you just wake up one day and go like today is the day <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's something that kind of built up after a while um you know we we think of the internet as being like the home of all lists all the time but you know the the listicle has been very popular going back to when i started uh as a as a you know a film critic and as somebody writing you know back when there were the, such a thing as newspapers um so it was pretty common over the years that christmas would roll around and somebody would ask the film guy hey why not put together a list of, you know, movies that people don't think of as Christmas movies or most romantic Christmas movies or whatever, you know? So I mm -hmm. had been, I had been kind of cobbling together these oddball lists over the years. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, uh, if I have two great obsessions in life, one is the movies and one is Christmas. So inevitably, you know, my chocolate and my peanut butter, were going to meet up. Um, <laughs> And so I, I, I pitched uh, the book to somebody. I literally uh, this 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 sounds like I'm such a Hollywood phony. I literally I met my agent at a film festival party, um, <laughs> and I pitched him the idea, and he thought there was some value to it. So we uh, he schlepped it around, and we we found a home for it, and and then I had to actually write this book. Uh, but it was great, and I, I I really enjoyed doing it. And and you know the book is now like ten years old. It came out in 2010. Um, 
but what's been really interesting is to to watch in the ensuing decade how much mainly things thanks to podcasts uh the the sort of notion of people talking about Christmas and Christmas movies specifically just all year round. I mean, there are, I can, I can name off the top of my head, three or four podcasts that are, you know, 24, seven, 365 Christmas movies, whatever the season, you know, and then shows like <laughs> yours that find ways to talk about Christmas itself over the course of the year, whether it's through, you know, media or traditions or, or, you know, food and drink or whatever other, you know, categories that fall into it. So, uh, you know, I, I like to think I, I got in early on this gravy train. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you. Definitely are a friend to Christmas podcasters because uh, uh, when we were at the Christmas Con uh, two years ago, I guess now, yeah, you were great at moderating that podcaster panel because oh, thanks. That is that is e- that is an easy group of people who to will just start yammering about whatever because that's what <laughs> podcasters do. But you really yeah, kept it focused and kept it interesting. It was yeah, it was a stage full of people who were used to just being alone in a room somewhere or with one other person and suddenly having to like have an audience and you know <laughs> accede the floor to someone else. So, but uh, <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> in front of a room of people who were like, they aren't any Hallmark movies. Why are they talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. No, the people who did show up for were were lovely, but yes, I, I know we were not we were not pulling in Lacey Chabert numbers, you know. I mean, dare I dream ever to pull in a Lacey Chabert number. <laughs> oh, but back to the book. Like, so yeah. when you set out to write, so that means you ha- like if you haven't read the book, listener, dear listener, there like it is chock a block with different Christmas movies that you analyze and like just just for reference you had to watch 22 different versions of a Christmas Carol (laughs) yes I did I can only imagine what my neighbors thought when you know it was July (laughs) or August and you know we don't have air conditioning in the apartment so all the windows are open and so every 90 (laughs) minutes to two hours you hear God bless us everyone you know uh so heaven only knows what they thought about that um yeah no it it was it, it was that kind of it, it was almost like Homer Simpson in the ironic punishment rooms where the donuts just keep coming. <laughs> like, oh, really? You like Christmas movies? Well, here, you get to watch all of them and you have, to, you have about six months to get them all done because you have to write about all of them, you know. Uh, but, you know, I, it was what I signed up for and it was kind of fun. And it, what was when you watch that many Christmas carols back to back, you really start kind of fine tuning the the you know where they hew to the dickens and then where they where they stray and so it almost becomes this kind of like scorecard we're like are we going to get ignorance and want uh, oh no okay you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't see ignorance and want until the jim carrey animated one I think they pop up in the George C. Scott. Uh, I, I somewhere I have a checklist with all of this, but <laughs> you know, it's it, it, like you you have to. Some of them get a lot deeper into the original text than others. Like for instance, the Patrick Stewart one that was that was made for cable. Uh, that you get the people in the lighthouse, and you get the young married couple who are relieved about Scrooge's passing. Like little just passing bits that they throw in. The the Jim Carrey one I remember at one point throws in some line about bakeries being closed on Sundays where literally if you don't have that annotated version with the footnotes, no idea what that even means or why they decided to throw that one into, into this version that, you know, yeah, we're going to, we're going to stick to Dickens enough to mention the bakeries line, but we're also going to have a a stagecoach chase and like, you know, (laughs) teeny tiny Scrooge running through the sewers of London, you know, like why not? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, cause you know, that gets the kids in. 
Sure. Yeah, of course. That's, that's the, what the that's bakery what line, of course. And, and then yeah, the adults. Naturally. <laughs> yeah, the sewer system, for sure. <laughs> they love yeah. sewers. It is. I mean, it is the most adapted uh, work of literature in the English language, I believe. Like there have been more, there are more Christmas Carol movies than there are like Hamlet movies. Uh, so, you know, but it's, it's endlessly adaptable. I mean, there was a whole stretch there in the 90s and 2000s where it was, you know, Scrooge is a ruthless career woman. Um, you know, and that, there, <laughs> the, the, that's when you got your, your Cicely Tyson Scrooge and your Susan Lucci Scrooge and your your uh, Tori Spelling and you know uh, your Vanessa Williams all these different variations but like it's it works the the thing the the we keep doing it because it's it the thing works I mean yeah it's a it's a good formula everybody's bought into it and plus Christmas I, I mean what, what more do you need indeed yeah <laughs> I I, it, 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 I think like very I think there are a few works that are that flexible in terms of you can modernize it or not modernize it or you can you know change the genders or the location you could do Scrooge on the moon you know, it would work uh, <laughs> because I think it, it it does get to something fundamental about just human behavior now I want to see Scrooge in space I don't know I I guess this. I mean, the Star Wars people are looking for more spinoffs. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Look, they we they we never thought they'd do another animated holiday special, and here we are. So you know, anything <laughs> is nothing is off the table, and it's public domain, so it's free. That's the best kind of domain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the public one. <laughs> <laughs> so now I know you're you. I don't know if you've finished it or you're still working on this new project with the uh, Deck the Hallmark guys because uh, you have a, a book coming out this year. Yes, them? coming out in September. Uh, it's called I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, um, the Deck the Hallmark Guide to Your uh, Holiday TV Obsession. Uh, and yeah, it, it it's pretty much done. I just turned in another round of like little proofread things today so you know i, I think all, all all is good to go you can pre-order it now uh on the internet and or at your favorite local bookstore uh yeah the the deck the hallmark guys um you know i think have a really fun approach to these hallmark movies that people just love as we saw at christmas con like they mm-hmm. just you know will spend the bucks to like stand next to and get autographs from the the actors and actresses in these films um and I, I think they take a really fun approach because you have you have Bran who who just unabashedly and completely unironically loves them. Uh, you have Panda who likes them, and then Dan who just can't stand them. And so I think how, wherever you fall in that spectrum, there's somebody on the show who's sort of like you know on your side, basically that you can <laughs> that you can root for. You know, even if it changes from movie to movie. Um, you know, I just I, I started listening from the very beginning. I thought those guys were so funny and and so smart, and uh, and then eventually it just sort of turned into this thing where they were like, hey, what? you know, what if we did a book, what would that look like? And, and, uh, I, 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 at first I had no clue. And then it was one of those things where like two weeks later, when I wasn't thinking about it anymore, I woke up one morning and I saw the whole thing in my mind. So, uh, again, my agent, uh, you know, like found a, founded a home. And so it is, um, it's a, it's a collection of 116 of their, uh, sort of miniature versions of their reviews of, of Hallmark films, uh, from, I mean, spanning all the way back to like 2006, but you know, up to 2020. Um, it's got, uh, recipes and, uh, fun ideas for throwing your own Hallmark party. Uh, the guys each sort of write their own sort of first person thing about like, you know, what they, what they feel about Christmas, what they feel about these movies, you know, a little history about, uh, Hallmark and TV, which is really fascinating. I, I found out that the, 
very first Hallmark Hall of Fame presentation back in the 50s uh, was a Christmas show. And it was the the opera Amal and the Night Visitors, um, which was the first uh, original opera written for television. And it's about the the, the three magi stopping to see, you know, on, on their way to uh, to Bethlehem, uh, where they spend time with a young boy and his uh, mother. And um, and yeah, it was, this, it was a big ratings hit. They would do it live like every year for quite a while. When I was in third grade, I think we actually sang some songs from it in our christmas pageant um but that was that was the very first hallmark hall of fame and so you know they have been kind of just doing christmas as long as there has been television that's great i i didn't know that either yeah well, I, you know, Joanna Wilson, uh, our, our friend who, who oh, yeah. is, is, knows more about Christmas on Christmas television than I will ever know about Christmas movies, uh, <laughs> was very helpful and gave me a really great interview for the book that, that, uh, that, that kind of took me through the history of, of Hallmark stuff. You know, Hallmark Channel as a, as a cable entity didn't exist until I think 2001. Um, and then, but the, the, the Hallmark Christmas movie as we know it really, I mean, you know, they were trying a lot of different things. And, and if you, you, you can see some of their older ones that are much more dramatic and they're about like, you know, sick kids and dogs at Christmas time and that sort of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, but like the, the, the sort of what we think of as the iconic, like, you know, hardworking city woman goes to small town and <laughs> rekindles her love of Christmas and meets hunky guy in a flannel shirt that that only goes back to about 2014, you know? So they've really, that they put a lot of hustle in for, for less than a decade to really kind of cement that as their genre, you know? <laughs> but sadly, Hallmark films do not get a theatrical release, so they are not eligible to be nominated for the Oscars and Christmas at the Oscars are what we came here to discuss today. Yes. And, so when I when, like I said when I, I just wanted an excuse to have you on the show and when the, when uh, we were talking about this you're like oh yeah I'll, I'll look into I'll, I'll look into some you know Christmas and the Oscars and you gave you came up with a full like list annotated and year by year of movies of Christmas movies that have been nominated for Oscar nominated or won Oscars I, you know I had never actually <laughs> sat down and done this before and so this was the perfect she's like hey yeah how have uh, how have Christmas movies done at the Oscars over the year because like obviously everybody knows you know uh, Miracle on 34th Street Edmund Gwen won a very won a very well deserved you know best supporting actor Oscar but mm-hmm. you know and, you know, White Christmas won Best Song, of course, for Holiday Inn. But beyond that, it's sort of like, huh, how how do these movies do? And in putting this list together, it's sort of like, um, some of them did okay. But uh, the, 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 the more recent that you get, the, the less of them you see in there. Yeah, because I think the Academy has always shied away from very, very light fare. And a lot of Christmas movies, especially recent Christmas movies, tend to be that. Like yeah. you're not going to see, you're not going to see Elf nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, comedy in general has always had a hard time at the Academy being taken seriously for some reason, which seems strange because I think if anybody would appreciate how hard comedy is to do well, it's actors. And yeah, exactly. And actors make up the largest, you know, chunk of the largest branch, I think, of the Academy ownership. But yeah, w- with your occasional exceptions of like, you know. Kevin Klein and a fish called Wanda or Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny, like for the most part, you don't see a lot of comedy get nominated. And so, yeah, since a lot of Christmas films kind of fall into that sort of fluffy category, um, yeah, they, they generally don't get taken seriously uh, when it comes time for certainly for the big categories. Right. But what I did notice from your list, if you want to make a Christmas movie that gets nominated, what you want to do is remake little women. 
Yes. Adapt Little <laughs> Women and you are in. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was 1933. It won for Best Screen and nominated it was nominated for Best Picture and Director and won for Best Ad- Adapted Screenplay. Right. Words are my enemy. <laughs> uh, the, the, the 1949 version got a cinematography nomination and won for Art Direction. Uh, then the 94 version um, was nominated. Winona Ryder got a Best Actress nomination. It was also nominated for its costume design and the score by Thomas Newman. And then the most recent version in 2019 from uh, Greta Gerwig, she got a director nomination. Oh, no, no, sorry. She did not get a director nomination. Or or did she? Wait. Now I'm confused. I don't know. She didn't. She got nominated for, uh, for, for Lady Bird, but not for Little Women, which I was furious about at the time. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that was nominated for picture actress for Shirsa Ronan, supporting actress uh, for, I, I think, it was, I, I don't have it in front of me. It was either Laura Dern or Florence Pugh. I'm forgetting. Adapted screenplay and score, and it did win for costumes. So yeah, that is your safe bet, I think, for being taken seriously by the Academy is get your <laughs> Louisa May Alcott on. <laughs> That should just be a sh- a t-shirt. I think so. <laughs> I was I I mean for all the talk of how overlooked It's a Wonderful Life was, it sure got a lot of nods and nominations at least. Yeah, definitely. I mean it it sadly lost pretty much everything it was nominated for to uh The Best Years of Our Lives which came out the same year, which is yes. you know also a classic like Talk about your embarrassment of riches. Like both of those films are sort of like landmark American movies. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it was, yeah, it got five nominations, one, none of them. And then on top of that being, you know, a financial disappointment, pretty much, uh, put an end to Frank Apra's, uh, Liberty films, sort of his, his indie yes. film shingle. <laughs> I was yeah, because you only see that Bell logo on that movie, and I think one other one. Yeah, I think it's uh, I want to say Keeper of the Flame. It's a it's a, a Hepburn Tracy movie, but it's a drama about a, 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 a dead politician. Yeah, that that was kind of it. It, it, it did not last very long, unfortunately. But you know, uh, again, the public domain to the rescue. That's that you know, as we know, that's how <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life uh, wormed its way into our hearts. <laughs> I don't think I knew that Baby It's Cold Outside, A, was from was a song from a movie like yeah. from Neptune's Daughter, yeah, and, and that it won an Oscar. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> and it's um, it, it, interesting, the way that it's presented in the film, I think, kind of speaks to the debate that's been going on every December that we've all decided to argue about every year about, you know, the what the song's attitudes are about men and women uh, because as it's presented in Neptune's daughter, which is a, an MGM musical starring Esther Williams, um, the song, the first part of the song is done by Esther Williams and Ricardo Montalban, who is, you know, who was kind of trying to put the make on her. And the whole thing about this song is that it's about a, it's about a woman who wants to stay at a man's apartment, but, society and conventions are forcing her to pretend that she doesn't. Um, and so the whole back and forth of this song is, is a, is, is a flirtation, you know? Uh, and then the second half of the song is performed by Betty Garrett as the would be seducer, um, singing it to red buttons, who is trying to like, you know, possibly stay or not stay. 
see context. Wow. Wow. Why was that never brought up in any of the context <laughs> things? People are like, I feel like even both sides would just argue the, just the text of the song as opposed to like, well, it was in a musical and it had a point and here was the point of the thing in the musical where it's from. It'd be like, you know, listening to poor unfortunate souls from little mermaid <laughs> out of context and being like, well, she seems very spiteful. Like, I don't think we should listen to this song. I'm like, yeah, it's a song from like, that's the point. <laughs> Yeah, the the details are important. <laughs> or you're know, listening to your mean one, Mr. Grinch, without having watched the movie. Like, they're just insulting this fellow <laughs> what over and guy, over to his what, face. What did he do to deserve such calumny? <laughs> We're not hearing the Grinch's side of this. <laughs> not fair. <laughs> uh, were there any uh, were there any on here that uh, like that shocked you that that um, that did or didn't uh, get nods or or wins? Uh, you know, I, I had forgotten that, uh, that Die Hard actually did get some tech nominations this <laughs> year. Um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't think I realized that Scrooge got four nominations. I knew that Thank You Very Much was nominated for Best Song, but there was also back when, when there were a lot of musicals being made every year, they used to have a category called Song Score, um, which was basically, you know, you're honoring the the collection of songs that are in a film. I think one of the last times I remember seeing it is in contention. I remember it was uh, in 1984. There were two nominees. One was um, Purple Rain, and the other one was The Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> but Scrooge was up for song score, uh, which I was glad to hear about because I I love all of those songs. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that uh, that that Silver Bells was not nominated for Best Song because that's a film that was introduced in a movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In a film called The Lemon Drop Kid with uh, Bob Hope from 1948, I want to say uh, it's based on a Damon Runyon story. Um, and yes, yeah, that the it's funny because you know I, I I grew up with the uh, with the Bing version. Uh, do not cue the listener who kind of sounds like or the ghost of Bing Crosby. Uh, so <laughs> 1951. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, but Bob Hope introduced that song, so you can't take that away from him. <laughs> I yeah, I was I was surprised. Well, two things I was surprised about on this list. Songs, uh, movies I ha- apparently have not seen, despite oh, uh, doing a Christmas podcast for half a decade now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I have not seen an embarrassing amount of these movies. Well, and to be fair, the the list that I made, like my book, sort of includes films that I think of as Christmas films that other folks might not. You know, so I included like Todd Haynes's Carol, which got quite a few nominations that year. You know, <laughs> I included Metropolitan and you know Brazil and uh, Toys. You know, Toys and Fanny and Alexander, you know, the apartment, like these are, these are Christmas movies, but you know, they're just not, they're not the ones that, you know, they're not elf, you know? Right. Uh, I was also surprised that, um, the home alone song, um, Oh, now I can't think of the name. Uh, the John Williams song that he wrote. Oh, right, right, right. ah, I can't, it, it was nominated, but it lost to that Madonna song from Dick Tracy. Right. I'm like, well, that is yeah. the most insulting thing I've ever seen. Well, you have to remember, though, that Madonna song from Dick Tracy is uh, written by Stephen Sondheim. Never heard of him. Yeah. Just so, kidding. <laughs> I, think, I think John Williams was like, you know what? Okay, game recognized game. I, I'm good with that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I've just recently rediscovered re, uh, appreciation for that particular song. And I was like, oh. And then, and then when I started listening, I was like, what? And I went to look up what beat it. 
Uh, well, I'm I'm a hardcore Sondheim fanatic, so I, you're you're not going to get me on that one. But uh, Fair enough. <laughs> I, I will say the that, that's John Williams and and it's Leslie Brickus, right? I think uh, did the did the Home Alone song. I don't know. Okay, sorry, not that didn't mean to throw you on that one. Just because uh, I, I, what, what made me think about it was that um, Leslie Brickus and uh, Henry Mancini did the quite terrible songs from Santa Claus the Movie, which was only a few years before that. <laughs> Somewhere in my memory, whew! I, there we I, go. I had to say it before someone corrected me. <laughs> Yes, John Williams and Leslie Brickus. And Leslie Brickus did the Scrooge music. So see, it all ties together. It's all it's it's all one big Christmas family. Pretty much. <laughs> so any more thoughts about Oscar at the movies before we do our <laughs> Tim's amazingly thought out uh, <laughs> closing segment? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I would say, generally speaking, I don't take the Academy Awards all that seriously just because as... As a kid, I was obsessed with them. As a, they were like, mm-hmm. they were my Super Bowl. They were, I was, I, I was very excited about them. And then uh, what happened to me, and I think what's happened to a lot of people that I know who are, are either film critics or just sort of film enthusiasts is you get older and you start seeing more movies and you start noticing what, what one that shouldn't have, what should have won that didn't even get nominated. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of realize, oh yeah, right. This is a thing designed by the industry for the industry. And it's always going to be kind of safe in a way. And so, um, I think for Christmas movies, um, particularly ones that are family movies, you know, they are, it's going to be harder for them to be taken seriously outside of something like the song category or whatever. Uh, but every so often you'll get a surprise, like, you know, the, uh, the, the film Joya Noel from 2005 about the world war one Christmas truce wound up being one of the foreign film or the international film nominees is back when they were calling it foreign language film. Uh, a Mm -hmm. couple of years ago, the Netflix animated feature Klaus was up for the best animated feature, you know, so it's not impossible, but, uh, (laughs) you know, it did think of Christmas at the Oscars as a Halley's Comet type situation where every so often you'll be like, oh, look at that. But like, do not wake up early at 5 a.m. You know, every year for the nominees and expect to hear something about it. <laughs> it's funny. I was the same. I was super into the Oscars growing up, uh, especially because Billy Crystal was like hosted most of the times and I was mm. a big fan of him in general. And like I remember for my 21st birthday, we rented out a hotel room and watched the Oscars. Wow. <laughs> like we went, we went to a bar. I tried three things and I'm like, they all taste like hairspray. Let's go back and watch the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave it your best shot. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I did what I could. <laughs> but then as I started to grow up and my taste became just more basic, because cause that's the kind of fool I'm growing into. Apparently I'm like, well, they're never going to nominate Endgame for best picture. I'm going to stop <laughs> caring what they think. So I kind of went the opposite way. Like Fair enough. But my way, tastes are so bland that the Oscar is never going <laughs> to we are both, the we're like. both disappointed nonetheless <laughs> we, we got to the same destination but through very different paths exactly i mean <laughs> even i'll tell you look this year i think uh jingle jangle got uh shortlisted for yes! a couple of things for makeup and song and and i forget what else but like they didn't pick the song that i think is the best one in the film they didn't go with this day uh granted they went with one of the john legend co-wrote which i get it um <laughs> but they, it wasn't shortlisted for best costumes and i thought those costumes were amazing amazing i mean like, yeah that, it was yeah. plaids Sorry. like i've never seen before <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you just know how to turn a phrase, sir. You should oh, be a writer. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Plaids like I've never seen before. <laughs> so to uh, close out our discussion about the Oscars and Christmas movies, I thought we could do our own award ceremony, the Holiday Academy Awards or the Chris Maskers. We're going to pretend that all the Christmas movies are in contention at the same time for our awards, and we'll each pick a winner for all the categories. Well, not all the categories. Like, we're not going to bother with best sound editing. (laughs) I'm going to fight you on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Oh, no question. Okay, good. We're (laughs) on the same page. I will die on this hill. But so I, I picked like six or seven of the categories and I thought we just, you know, kind of the major ones, the ones that they don't cut away from the speeches from. There you go. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'll just start from I'll start pretty much like they do in the broadcast where you start with a supporting actor and actress and then uh, move your way up to best picture at the end. OK. And so the so the first one, uh, I will say best. What, what is your pick for best supporting actress in a Christmas movie? Best supporting actress um hmm because when you get into that whole tricky thing about like are they elite or they secondary <laughs> you know uh, there's a lot of a lot of ways to go on this one uh you know hmm call me a rank sentimentalist on this one but uh, i'm gonna go margaret o'brien in meet me in st louis nice that so now, kid now, steals a scene <laughs> <laughs> that is embarrassingly one of the christmas movies i have not seen but like oh, i know wow. but it's it's one of those things like i hadn't the, there are so many movies that i haven't seen but that are just so much in in discussion that i feel like i know about it and can talk about it <laughs> I so totally like when you feeling. said it i was like yeah sure I, I, I know exactly what you're saying <laughs> Uh, you know what? And and uh, d- to be clear, if I any response I say to, to you not having seen something, it is always I envy you the opportunity of seeing it for the first time. I don't yes, judge. I, I am looking forward to that. Yes, <laughs> you got kids. You have a life. I understand. You've not seen all this stuff. It's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, what would your choice be? Uh, I'm I'm going a little. Uh, I'm going the 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 sort of outlier comedy nomination with okay. a lot of these actually. Uh, okay. Carol Kane in Scrooged. Oh, okay. It's just such a, a wonderful zany performance and not zany is the wrong word, but just like, I don't know. It's just, she's a, she's this sweet little fairy, but she's overly aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just liked it. I, I, I just think that's a performance that gets overlooked a lot. Like when you're talking about, like, I don't, I don't think people remember that performance very much. Yeah, because it gets swallowed up by the rest of the movie. And it's definitely it, it. It is it is a it is a piece of a very large puzzle there. Um, I, you know, I I think that's a it's a somewhat divisive performance. I for one am not a giant fan of it, but I get why people like it, and so mm-hmm. have at it. <laughs> I, and I will. <laughs> All right, now best supporting actor. Ah, okay. Hmm. Uh, you know, even though you kind of want to strangle him at one point in the film, I'm going to go with Thomas Mitchell as Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yes. Uh, I, now, don't worry. I've seen that one. Okay, good. I, I, had, I had hope. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is a good performance. And, and mind I you, like- I'm, I, I'm, I only because Edmund Gwynn already has an Oscar. So he's good. He's covered. <laughs> Uh, I went with uh, the same movie, actually. Uh, Robert J. Anderson as young George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Just almost entirely on that scene where he's uh, talking to the pharmacist and, you oh, know, yeah. uh, 
rips my heart out every time. Well, I'll tell you, watching that movie in 2020, when they close up on the uh, the telegram and you find out that, that Mr. Gower's son died of the uh, influenza, it was just like, oh, that's landing hard. Yeah. And then I say something comical that lets us transition. <laughs> or if you know what, if, if that was too grim, feel free to cut it too. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> we can get real. Okay. <laughs> There's no rules. Uh, All right. All right, so we're going to jump ahead past many categories that you normally fast forward through when watching the Oscars on DVR mm-hmm. and go to best song. Hmm. Um, God, that, you know, I mean, I, I, I do love Silver Bells, although I don't, you know, I'm not crazy about the movie. I'm going to throw this one to Scrooge just because uh, I'm such a fan of the film. And I think, even though Thank You Very Much is the one that got the Oscar nomination, um, I am going to nominate, uh, December the 25th, which is the song they dance to at, uh, at, uh, Fezziwig's party. I think they really are making an effort to like create a new Christmas song from whole cloth, which is not easy, but they keep finding ways to rhyme with fifth, which is very not <laughs> easy. So, uh, for just an A for effort, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> you just you get an award for do it. You get the Oscar just because you did that before Rhyme Zone was a thing. Exactly, just for being a tryhard. <laughs> what now, about you? Now, there, well, there were a lot of like ob- obvious ones, like you know, uh, White Christmas or um, uh, the the John Williams one I mentioned earlier. But mm-hmm. I went with one that I just really doesn't get enough credit because they. Know, I don't think they ever released it as a like a single or anything. But like every time the the and it's from uh, a short film, uh, Mick, short film Mickey's Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what a merry Christmas day! I, okay. That is another like whole cloth Christmas song that just sounds like it's been around for like even when you first heard it, it sounds like it has just been around forever. Mm. That's a oh, challenge. What a merry Christmas day! <laughs> I'm like, oh, that must be some old. No, they just made that up. They just somebody wrote that that day and said, "You got a deadline, five o'clock. Write a song." Oh, here it is. It's magic. Go. <laughs> uh, jumping ahead again, I think. But well, to be honest, I don't know if, if these two are flipped in the ceremony, but uh, no one's checking my work. Uh, best screenplay. <laughs> best screenplay. Um, hmm. And I think we'll lump adapted and original into one. <laughs> sure. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, I mean, you know, look, I think for adapted, I have to go with it's a wonderful life, uh, which is based on a short story called the greatest gift by Philip Van Doren Stern. Um, and then for original, this is one of those movies that maybe not everybody thinks of as being a Christmas movie, but it is, it's set at Christmas time and it's shot in New York during Christmas and it's really gorgeous. Uh, and I'm going to go with Whit Stillman's Metropolitan which is a comedy about uh, young debutantes um, during debutante season that takes place during the holidays. Um, and it's just one of the sharpest, smartest uh, uh, scripts I think I've ever seen. All right. How about you? Uh, for Adapted, I'm going to go for the Muppet Christmas Carol, just because okay. I just liked how much of they were able, by putting Gonzo as a narrator, how much actual Dickens verbiage they were able to put in there and the way they made it work and also made it, Palatable is the wrong word, but like, you know, a kid is not going to sit there and listen to you read Dickens. Accessible is a much better word. Yes. Thank you. And I actually didn't have one for original. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with Elf because reasons. Sure. (laughs) 
Uh, and now we'll do the best. I know, I'll, t- I'll tell you, oh, just sorry. I want to I camp out on the Elf screenplay real quick. That script does something that is very hard to do, which is that it threads this needle between being contemporary and sort of knowing and at the same time being classically naive i guess is the word like there's any moment where they where it could have you could have turned too hard in one direction where you make it too sappy or too cynical and somehow that movie just kind of magically like uh, splits the difference. I remember seeing it when it first came out and just being like, wow, th- this is not what I expected from a Will Ferrell movie, certainly. And it's just, it, it, I, this is a thing that it's, it, it, you could just breathe on it wrong and it would fall apart. But somehow <laughs> it all stands up. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, I didn't see it for a long time for that very reason. I'm like, I, I'm not interested in Will Ferrell's take, uh, you know, in Talladega Nights' take on a Christmas movie. <laughs> But then when I saw it, I was like, wow, this is like, it manages to have heart, but also be aware of what it is. Yeah. But without being like, but without being constantly like, nah, can you believe it? Uh, what yeah, are we doing? Your uh? ribs remain unnudged. <laughs> Thank you for justifying my last minute choice. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, so let's go with lead actor. Well, uh, you know, uh, not not. Uh, I certainly never like to overload any one film at an award show. But I mean, come on! If I say anything but Jimmy Stewart, I'm just just drive me out of town and leave me in a ditch somewhere. I mean, yeah. I only didn't pick him because I assumed you would. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> what do you got for me? I picked Bill Murray and Scrooged. Okay, only because. Like that la- that ending monologue. Yeah. I was like, oh, he actually is an actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. I think if the whole movie had had that level of manic intensity, I would love it even more. But I do love that final monologue. And again, it's that, it is that thing of like, you know, we're, we're being modern here and we're, you know, we're, we're rolling our eyes at convention and we've, we've, we grew up with sappy stuff and we know that it's sappy, but at the same time, we're going to talk about like the heart of the situation here and, and pay homage to that and treat it seriously. Yeah. And like how broken you would be, your psyche would be if you went through that experience, like it comes through. Yeah. And like how he went you know came through the other side actually you know changed in in you know in a in a real way i i think more so than any scrooge that i can think of like you really be like oh he's really seen something I, like, I, I I can't remember what actor it was, but somebody who talked about how the the challenge of playing Scrooge is the last part, you know, because you <laughs> you you've created this character who is so terrible and so selfish and cruel and all these things, and then they have to be just imbued with this light of goodness and <laughs> and charity and compassion, and it's like it is a that is a one eighty, you know, yes, um, and th- that's a, I think you can really sort of grade a Scrooge the quality of it based on how well they pull that off I think Albert Finney does it really well in the Scrooge musical because they give him like a 20 minute number where they reprise all the songs <laughs> from the film and he like buys out every store in London and like you know there there's dancing literal dancing in the streets so you know but yeah it's it's a tricky thing to pull off and I think I think Murray especially given that Murray as, as a performer tends to be somebody who puts everything in quotation marks he mm-hmm. does feel like he is he 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 buys it and so that's it he, he he bought it and now he's selling it to you 
Yeah, and that is kind of what the character is also like is kind of a cynical guy who is now being genuine. So it, yeah. it works. It works. The the fact that it's that actor helps the performance that much more. Absolutely. I, it's it's. I'm acting like Bill Murray's listening to this and he's gonna be like, "Thanks, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> um, He'll know. Best act. <laughs> best actress. I'm gonna uh, warn you. I picked a goofy one for this one. <laughs> oh, I have kind of a, a an oddball one myself. Um, uh, I'm gonna say Judy Davis in the Ref. <laughs> oh, nice! I, I love that movie. I love that movie. I have I love not that movie so much. I have not watched it in the last couple of years because of you know that guy. But you know, I'm hoping <laughs> at some point I will be able to like uh, put that aside and enjoy it anyway. But yeah, she is. I, I very much. I, I was very close to giving supporting actress to Christine Baranski, but I definitely want to go best actress for Judy Davis. I think she is hilariously brittle in this and again talk about a character who has to sort of come out the other side a different person and she she takes you on that journey and you buy it and you know that it's that the stuff that's wrong in her life and her marriage are not going to be fixed immediately but you at least get the idea that she has she's she's setting out on 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 the long road to making it all right and uh yeah and it's just very funny i mean just some of the best repartee ever <laughs> yeah and then, yeah it's uh, that was another one where it was like well dennis leary's in a christmas movie i don't know about that and like oh wait this is good yeah <laughs> uh I, I picked michelle pfeiffer as catwoman <laughs> <laughs> I honor that. Because <laughs> what else is she going to get the props she deserves for that role in terms of an Oscar? In the Christmas Oscar, she gets one, I say. There you go. <laughs> it is a brilliant performance. Yeah, another, like, you know, uh, not quite on the same level as Chris Reeve, but like uh, like the characterization just characterization completely changes between her two personalities. Oh, yeah, for movie. sure. And And then also you have the whole thing of like having to – there is the there is the version of that uh, once the character makes the shift there's the version of the character that exists in the costume but there's also the version that exists like face to face with Bruce Wayne you know which mm-hmm. is which is a subtle shift yeah it, that she she's she's marvelous in that movie so yeah you get a christmas oscar michelle <laughs> <laughs> all right and then the big one best picture oh man there are just so many ways to go wrong here um <laughs> I mean, you know, like, do I watch White Christmas every year? Yes. Is it a good movie? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful production. The script doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, you know, uh, you know, do do I do I love you know Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander? Yes. Is there Christmas in it eh, for like the first twenty minutes to thirty minutes? You know. Um, is it obvious if I just say it's a wonderful life? I mean, yes, but at the same time, it is so great. But, you know, if there are people who argue that it isn't Christmassy enough, you know, that it doesn't, that, that it, it's more really the bookend of the film. And it's like, I mean, I guess, yes, if you want to be technical about it. <laughs> so I'm going to just split the difference and say the original Miracle on 34th Street. That. Yeah, it was. I was. I was between that and uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" for me, and so I'm glad I went with "It's a Wonderful Life" because okay. it's just one of my favorite movie. Definitely my favorite Christmas movie, and one of my favorite movies. Period. So Absolutely. I was like, I and I, yeah, I would. I, I'm not. I'm not going to vote for it. I've made and, up this Oscar show. I can vote for what I want to. Right. And look, if we're doing the Oscars, <laughs> people need to come away disappointed by something. <laughs> 
And now we just need the uh, the closing musical number, which takes 20 minutes. <laughs> Actually, they usually don't do a closing musical no, number. No, no, no. By that point, they're like, they've already passed their three-hour time slot. They're like, okay, we got to right. go by. I don't know why they can never figure out how long it's going to take. How long have they been doing it? And uh, like, oh, we went over again. Like, yeah. how did you how did you not figure that out? Yeah, how do you not know how many steps there are to get to the stage from the row of the place where you put the sound editor in the back of the hall? You know, come on. <laughs> did you not have a rehearsal? What, what is- <laughs> <laughs> well, Alonso, thank you again so much for being on our special Oscar special. Oh, always a pleasure. I, uh, I, you know, big fan of the show. I, I actually, I, there was something about last episode that I was going to be like, Hey, about, but now I've forgotten what it was. So pro- it wasn't anything you said. I think it was, it was something that one of the, one of the listeners wrote in. I was like, that's, I don't agree with that, but now I've forgotten <laughs> what it was. So, you know, we're just gonna have to let it slide. Ha ha. My show is so ethereal. It slips off your brain and thus is immune <laughs> to criticism. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that what Christmas is all about? <laughs> So there'll be links in the show notes to Alonzo's many podcasts, as well as a link to pre-order I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, which comes out in September, you said? Yes. But you can pre-order now. You don't need to wait for September, because what is this podcast if not not waiting for things? There you go. And you know what? You'll, you'll pre-order it, and you'll forget about it, and then suddenly it will arrive in the mail, and you'll be like, what? Oh, what's this for me in September? It's like an early Christmas present. What's this? What's this? There a you book go. about Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for just being awesome. Oh, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. (laughs) And that's it for the first and not likely to be annual Chris Maskers. Good night, Hollidaywood. And that's our show for today. Wait a second. Yes, imaginary listener, that sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. What about the season's musings? I was just about to mention that. You see, just like the Oscars, this episode has run long. Unlike the Oscars, we can just do a bonus episode in a week or two. So keep watching your feed because we're putting out two episodes this May. That's right, no matter who wins Oscar gold, tonight the true winner is you. Why are you so cheesy? It's all I know how to be. Fair enough. So if you haven't recorded yourself telling us when it starts to feel like Christmas to you, congratulations, your deadline has been extended. You still have a chance to send your answer to Christmas at tancast.com. Also, don't forget to check the show notes to get that recipe for Christmas popcorn and the link to pre-order Alonzo's new book, I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, as well as links to his other podcast, Linoleum Knife, Breakfast All Day, Film and a Movie, and the untitled Drea and Alonzo Project. Okay, they're playing me off, so I'll just thank my agent, my wonderful mother for believing in me, my amazing wife for putting up with me and keeping me honest, my two great kids for showing me what life is really all about, and I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for composing Evening Melodrama and releasing it under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license so I could use it for this hilarious bit. Okay, they're flashing the light at me, so I'll just say until the next time, you believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2021. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. 
If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Oh, and uh, I am planning to do the cheesiest intro ever, so buckle in. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And also link to pre-order. Oh, Oh, I'll be home for Christmas Christmas movie. (laughs) I was like, the name just fell out of my head. I'm like, I know it is also a pun on a movie, a Christmas song title. There you go. And then it got tripped up in my head. Anyway, Uh, the links for all that will be in the show notes. Oh, sorry. I didn't know if you wanted to say it or if you wanted to just keep this in all all higgledy piggledy. Well, that'll be be the outtake. And then I'll say. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Hooray. I'm in the outtakes. It's a dream come true. Thank you. I I apologize for my awkward interviewing style. (laughs) Oh, that's what editing is all about. (laughs) I do. I I interview like Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Remember when you wrote that book? That was cool. (laughs) It's good. It's good to have professional role models. (laughs) So I thought it would be a good time. So I thought it would be have a good. I thought it'd be a good time to learn how to talk, but I was wrong. What's the matter, imaginary listener? That kind of sounds like Sermon Sermon Fenar. Yeah, that's a line I haven't been saying a lot. Of course I'm going to fumble over that one. What is the most popular movie snack? Uh, Steamed clams? Butterscotch pudding? Pickled radishes? Fiery hot Cheetos? A chalupa? Potato salad with raisins? Venezuelan beaver cheese. (laughs) One of those has got to be funny.